is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. Students here in L.A. say they are dealing with a number of mental health issues because of the pandemic. Hundreds of deer in Iowa, yeah, deer, testing positive for COVID. What does that mean for us, the uh, humans? Oh, dear. What are employers doing about the current worker shortage? We'll talk about all that today. We start with how the pandemic is affecting students. New survey says most students in L.A. are worried about their mental health. They want more resources to help. Marco Hoven Dominguez, recent graduate of the Social Justice Humanities Academy, it's in San Fernando, and uh, is now at Harvard. Norma Rodriguez, Director of Education Programs and Policy for United Way of Greater Los Angeles. Marco, we start with you. How did all this affect you as a student? The COVID-19 pandemic definitely impacted my mental health in a way that made me, for one, lose motivation for school. Um, The lack of time that I had to spend indoors um, because I was spending my majority of my day um, facing a screen um, not only impacted my mental health, but also my physical health in that I did experience migraines, um, spending very rare, like rarely time outdoors. And it was just a very lonely time. I felt so isolated that I couldn't see my friends, could not communicate with my teachers. Um, And in that period, I was applying to colleges. Um, So I felt a lack of support when it came to that aspect because I I couldn't see my teachers or I couldn't um, ask for support in person like I would have if the pandemic was not in the the case. Um, And it it made the process really difficult because I couldn't reach out for support in the same way that I I could have in the past. So obviously you made it to Harvard, but congratulations. But how much more difficult do you think it was when you were trying to apply and trying to get all this together, knowing that you had all these, you know, hopes and dreams, but you're also having all of this go around in your daily life? It was just very difficult in the, in the regard that um, I there was just so much to so much that was going on. Um, I had to complete my classes on Zoom as well as my schoolwork. And on top of that, I applied to college. And it was just really difficult um, finding the motivation to want to complete my application while having to juggle my responsibilities at home and my schoolwork. Um, I did experience, um, to reiterate, a lack of motivation. Um, and it was just really hard to um, find the motivation to go on. But I knew that I had my goals in mind. And the only way to achieve those goals was if I set my mind to it and um, fought through and fight through that adversity that was really hard to get through um, when it felt when I felt hopeless and kind of lost my sense of direction in the process. Marco, stay with us. Uh, Norma, how typical of a story uh, is this that we're hearing from Marco? Hey, um, you know, it's fairly common. um, What the survey really eliminated was the multiple layers to stress that students were facing, hence the need for mental health supports, right? Um, One of the big findings was that students hold many responsibilities outside of being students, right, that they're juggling. Um, One third of students were balancing extra responsibilities like parental caregiving, raising their siblings, right, babysitting them, Um, and then supplemental earners, right? A lot of students had to take on jobs to support their families as they uh, face job loss or COVID illness through the pandemic. What are some of the things you think could go into place to try and ease some of this? Obviously, hopefully we're coming out of the pandemic, so that's going to be a major contributor. But in terms of having that kind of support at school, what does that look like? Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think Marco can um, hop in as well. But one of the key things that students are asking for is just more mental health supports in the form of more counselors, right, that they can count on at school. 
Um, one of the other um, findings was that the top need that students had were, was around technology, but not in the traditional sense that we, we think about, right? Like more devices, all of that, um, which, you know, they, they want better devices, um, you know, better Wi-Fi. But really, there was some really great apps and tech that were embedded throughout distance learning that students are hoping some of that continues when they're returned in person because it did help them um, juggle multiple responsibilities it also helped teachers see who was more behind, who needed more help, right? And, and just more equity in a way, right, through the tech. So those are some of the things that we're hoping um, can be woven in as we continue to weather the pandemic and beyond. Marco, do you think that the uh, mental health aspect, aspects of the pandemic that impacted you that you just uh, articulated before, are, are some of this, uh, some of these things going to likely last with you for a long period of time, or do you think you're going to be able to get over it pretty quickly? I think that it's something that will stick for a while, um, especially for me in my case, being uh, 3,000 miles away from home, um, having to switch into that transition so abruptly um, without the support from my my high school like officials um, I think that it's really difficult that like the our institutions expect us to transition so smoothly when we don't have that support um, like where we come from um, I feel that um, I don't really have a solid uh, mental health support foundation um, that could have helped me in this transition and it is it, it is making it a lot more difficult um, trying to adjust to a new environment um, where everything is so different and there are still so many expectations. Um, and I feel like those expectations are what is causing a lot of students' mental health to deteriorate in that sense um, because there is so much that is expected of them without um, focusing the attention of a student's mental, mental health and well-being first um, because there is so much emphasis on academics rather than the individual student themselves. Marco Hoven-Dominguez, a recent graduate of Social Justice Humanities Academy in San Fernando, now at Harvard, and uh, Norma Rodriguez, Director of Education Programs and Policy, United Way of Greater L.A. A new study finds that hundreds of white-tailed deer in Iowa have COVID-19. Researchers say they likely got it from humans and the deer have been spreading it to each other. Tony Goldberg, veterinarian at the University of Wisconsin, studies the evolution of infectious diseases as they jump between animals and people. Tony, uh, is this something we need to be worried about? It's, um, yeah, it's, it's worrisome. So it's not unprecedented for people to give infections to animals. It's called reverse zoonosis as opposed to zoonosis, which is when we get infections from animals. Um, what's striking about the new finding is that it looks like SARS coronavirus 2, the virus that causes COVID, uh, has gotten into deer multiple times from people, not just once, but uh, a bunch of times in Iowa, and that it's circulating actively among deer. So they're passing it to each other. And that's kind of bad news because, as we're all aware, viruses have this annoying tendency to evolve. So one of the fears is that what went into deer might not be the same thing as what comes out of deer. And is it a, a sort of uh, an axiom that whatever comes out of the deer uh, in terms of a mutated virus is more likely to be worse than what went in? No, that's not, uh, not really an axiom. In fact, we don't really know what's going to happen. It could go either way. Maybe the virus could evolve into something that's a problem for us. It could be more virulent or maybe evade immunity. But 
it also could just become a deer virus over time, and maybe it'll fade away into something we don't uh, we don't have to worry about too much. But you know, it's not that that's you know not not I'm not a gambling man, so you know, putting my money on on red or black in this case is is a little bit scary. Do we know that it can go both ways even yet? I mean, if we've given it to the deer and then they're giving it to each other, have the deer given it back to us? That's the big question. The answer is no, we do not know that. So it's premature to assume that they can, but it's also foolish to assume that they can't. So we've got to wait to see uh, what's going to happen with follow-up studies that are going to try to assess whether or not deer pose a risk to us. So is there some strategy that is being put into place to try to deal with this? Not yet, because the results are so new. We're going to find, we're going to find out soon, I think, that um, different folks and different agencies are going to make different recommendations based on this. But it's, it's a little bit early. You know, we're kind of in uncharted territory, so I think we don't want to jump the gun. Um, I wouldn't be at all surprised if recommendations come out, um, maybe not regulations, but recommendations. Um, but right now, we're sort of all waiting to see what happens. So you can, you know, drive the 405 and not see a deer or sit in your, your house and not see a deer. But there's like a lot of deer in North America. So that's also a concern here, like the sheer numbers of deer that could be giving deer coronavirus to each other. Yeah, that's the concern. So I've been to L.A. quite a few times, and you're right, I've never seen a deer uh, in the city. But here in Wisconsin, we got a lot of them, and it's popular for people to go hunting. It's popular for deer to come into your yard or, or stuff like that. So, yeah, the, uh, the, uh, you know, even if deer turn out to be able to transmit the virus to people, the question is, do they actually do that? Is it a real risk in the real world? And we don't really know, but you'd certainly expect that in places with a big deer herd, that risk could be higher. Coming up after a short break, how are companies adjusting to a world where it's hard to find workers? We've heard a lot about the worker shortage due to the pandemic, but a lot of that is focused on what job seekers are or aren't willing to accept right now. But what about the companies that are hiring? How are they adjusting to the fact that they're now competing for workers instead of the other way around? Matt Lee on KYW Radio in Philadelphia talked to the Senior Director of Westchester University's Career Development Center, Jennifer Rossi-Long, about that. I'll give one example. Um, I mean, I, I, I can't say that I'm hearing a ton of examples of people doing things wildly differently at this point. Um, but there, there is somebody that I follow, um, Dan Price, who's the CEO of Gravity Payments out in Seattle, he was doing some work with his workforce and doing some sort of progressive things before even the pandemic started. But over the course of the pandemic has been very vocal about things like giving people the flexibility that they want, trusting your workforce to know the job that they do. So to say as the CEO, I'm not going to dictate how you best do your job. Do your job the best way you can do it in the environment you need to do it in. I'll support you in that. And as long as we still see results, we're all good, right? You're happy. The company's happy. Everybody's happy. That's that's great. Um, and I just think um, he he makes it sound so simple, um, even though it, it can become a complicated thing. But he basically said. I asked my employees what they wanted rather than dictating to them what I thought they wanted. They told me what they wanted. And I said, sounds good. Go do the thing you want to do. And he has seen phenomenal results just in terms of um, in terms of revenue 
morale within the company, productivity, the number of applications they're getting for each open position. They've been able to add headcount to their staff. Like there's so many positive things that have happened and it literally boils it down to, I asked, they told me, I did something about it, period. And it's interesting because I don't think a lot of people have that ability to kind of look inward, let alone people in positions of power. Um, I think it it can be difficult to be self-critical. But I think it's been a long time since I think we've been in a moment like this where I actually, I don't know that I've been alive and, you know, cognizant of a time when workers kind of were looking at things through this this lens. I would imagine a lot of people in charge of hiring have never encountered this, right? Where people just don't want to work under the circumstances and payment that we've been used to doing for years, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think there there also um, sometimes can be a disconnect between the folks that are doing the hot, right, the recruiting and the hiring managers versus like what some of the C-suite is saying, or, you know, like some of the, the senior leadership um, within the organization. Um, because I, I think, and, and thinking about a few folks in my network, the ones that are doing the recruiting and the hiring, they're close to this. Like they're, they're understanding why people are leaving through their like exit interview process, or they're understanding why someone is not accepting their job offer and taking a different job offer. They have that information, even if anecdotally, right. Even if they don't have like a systematic way to collect that data, but it's a matter of explaining the cost of that to someone who's looking at the the bottom line and not understanding how all of these things sort of, um, ripple out and have longer lasting effects on not just the the uh, vibrancy of their organization or the the culture but then it does come down to the bottom line because turnover is expensive the u.s surgeon general dr vivek murthy has been busy pushing back on vaccine misinformation from some a-list celebrities first it was matthew mcconaughey saying that he hasn't gotten his kids vaccinated yet then it was a question about the debunked theories NFL quarterback Aaron Rodgers used to justify his decision not to get vaccinated. Murthy emphasized it's important to get your information from the right sources. He says he doesn't ask his electrician for medical advice. And he doesn't go to his doctor when he's having electrical problems. You can find this Odyssey original on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. You know, I actually do ask my doctor when I have electrical problems, but okay. Thank you.